you go into your shower feeling tired. But as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $50 on select battery tool sets. Real steel. Offer valid on select AK system sets through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. If you're ever stopped at a railway crossing and the signals are flashing and you don't see the train or it looks like it's moving slow and you're thinking maybe you could get across the tracks before the train comes, think about this. In 2018 alone, 270 people were killed at railroad crossings. 270. So stop because trains can't. What is up? Welcome to another edition of the NFL Fantasy Live podcast. It's me, your man, MG Marcus Grant, alongside the Fantasy Hall of Famer, Michael Fabiano and Graham Barfield. And happy draft week, fellas. Yeah, man. Got a little uh, little fun coming up the next few days. It, uh, it's, it's kind of flown by. I feel like the last like 10 days have kind of flown by in anticipation for mm-hmm. this. So uh... the last three months have flown by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, this this draft season has been faster i think than others maybe i mean maybe because i personally have had some other things going on that have kind of distracted my attention <laughs> what have you, you had going on nothing nothing at all ah. nothing at all um but yeah it has brought a new human into <laughs> it has gone, oh yeah that thing it has gone from the combine to the draft in it feels like what feels like a record amount of time so um we will have on today emory hunt who if you don't know you, sh- you should find out he is maybe the hardest working man on draft twitter uh you can read him at the athletic you can read him uh, in any number of places we'll get him on to talk about some of the prospects here Especially because Emory uh, goes deep. He studied about 800 guys. He gets into the smaller school guys as well. So we'll sort of pick his brain uh, as we lead up to the draft. Also, a chance to remind you, we will have a second podcast later on this week. We will do another one on Friday in which we will recap, obviously, night one. Um, You know, we will maybe dig into the other nights, but probably not so much. But uh, we'll definitely go back and look at what happened that first night and kind of give you a recap on on how we feel about what went down there. So uh, that's that. But before we get too far into this, go behind the glass. Our normal producer, Eddie Murphy, is in Nashville getting ready for said draft. And so sitting in today, we are very glad to have uh, Kent Brown back with us. Kent, how you doing, man? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm excited for the draft as well. It's going to be a good week. And what's fun about it is we think we know a lot. We say we know a lot, and then 
two nights from now, we're going to be like, what? Maybe we'll get five of the 32 <laughs> picks, right? And the other 27 picks will be like, okay, I, I could see why they would take that team, the, that player, but none of us really know what's going to happen. Has the, is there a website out there that actually documents, like, which of the big experts actually got the greatest percentage of first-round picks correct? There probably I mean, is. There's got to so. be, and it's got to be wicked low, too. I would think there's, so. There's some mock draft accuracy. Actually, I think a lot of it comes boils down to, like, do you just get the names in the first round, right? Because it's yeah. so hard to pick the teams. Right. You can get the names in the first round, right? You're okay. doing pretty well. Especially, especially with, you know, trades and stuff. Yeah. It just throws everything yeah, off. Yeah, if you can get, like, 8 of 32, even remotely accurate, that's a good mock. Yeah, if you can get, like, but if you can get like 25 of the 32 names, yes. that's, that's really, that's really pretty good. solid. Yeah. So. All right. So there you go. We got a full show. Of course, uh, we will do a quick GOT recap because game, uh, cause episode uh-huh. two just hit. So um, trying to get over that. All the feels, man, in episode two. So we'll get to that and more. But first, let's do some news. Through the news. Oh, the Bills continue to confound with their running back room. They sign TJ Yeldon to a two-year contract. So, Fabs, now they got Ugh. Sean McCoy. Ugh. They got Frank Gore. Ugh. They got TJ Yeldon. Uh, I was going to ask how you feel about it, but I think you just told me how Do you feel about it. not want. <laughs> and oh, by the way, they might draft a running back. I will be surprised if they don't draft a running back, actually. Oh. Yeah, watch. They'll go and get Montgomery, which I think would be a tremendous fit long-term. But I mean, that's turning out to be a backfield to avoid just, man, at all costs. I don't. I just don't understand what's happening there. I don't. They got two dudes who are combined like sixty-seven years old. <laughs> then you bring in a pass-catching running back in T.J. Yeldon. They, you, they they signed a bunch of wide receivers. I don't know. That offense is going to be potentially very uh, fantasy unfriendly. Yeah. I mean, you know what it is? It's this offense so far. It's sort of like. It's like a college meal, right? When you're like, it's, you don't have any money. Your work-study check hasn't come in yet. And so you're just pulling whatever you can find in the fridge together. And you're like, whatever, man. This is going to do it. It's like buttered noodles <laughs> like when you're in college. You guys remember that time the Bills traded for Antonio Brown? For, like, fun. for like an hour? Yeah. <laughs> and then he, he said, nope. Uh, hey, yeah. TJ Yeldon, that's... Clo- well, no. <laughs> you know, whatever. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe. Uh, football. Yeah. The Texans, their wide receiver, Will Fuller, says he should be ready for week one, coming off an ACL tear. Uh, it's great news, Graham. I mean, I guess the, the thing with Will Fuller is he's just he just has to stay on the field. When he's on the field, everything's great. He just has struggled to stay healthy so far. Yeah, we've seen Deshaun Watson have like pretty enormous splits. Like Will Fuller being a lid lifter really does help the rest of this offense. It helps DeAndre Hopkins see... Uh, a little bit less pressure in terms of his coverage obviously helps Deshaun Watson. Um, we just we just have to hope and pray he stays healthy because he's dealt with so many nicks and bruises and now is a speed guy coming off an ACL tear. Um, I, I don't know. I hope he, I hope he's healthy because he's been a legitimate difference maker when he's on the field, but he just hasn't been on the field enough. I mean, I think having a healthy Will Fuller is good news for Kiki QT as well. I mean, he, he had a couple of really big games, but I feel like after a few weeks, folks sort of caught on a little bit yeah. and we didn't hear much from him. But I think having Will Fuller there, uh, again, you mentioned him being a lid lifter. That that opens things. I mean, we know Nuke. He's going to be Nuke. He's going to be fine. Uh, but having Will Fuller there and healthy is a, is a big deal, I think, for Kiki QT. Uh, Duke Johnson. Says he wants to be traded. He wants out of Cleveland, understandably. It's hard for him to to kind of find any traction there. Uh, They've got a great running back in Nick Chubb. And now they have Kareem Hunt. Uh, They have, we know they got Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham at wide receiver. So understandably, Duke Johnson's feeling sort of left out. 
Uh, but it doesn't sound like the Browns have any plans to trade him. Um, Fabs, I'm thinking about going on, on Twitter and starting a hashtag like Free Duke Johnson because he's just he's sort of wasting away in Cleveland. I, I'm telling you, this is all just he's going to get traded. He's going to get traded. OK, um, that I don't know that the relationship between Freddie Kitchens and Duke Johnson is all that healthy and it's not going to get better, uh, especially after they added Kareem Hunt. So I would still be surprised, even though you're hearing this stuff about how the Browns aren't giving him away. Yeah. He's a valuable asset, so, right. pass catching running back, and a lot of teams could use him. They're not going to give him away, but I'd really be surprised if he's still with the Browns heading into 2019. It could happen because you you, you have to wait uh, you know, nine, ten games until you're going to get Kareem Hunt back, but it's still a situation where I'd be surprised if he's not dealt. I'm with you, Fabs. Um, there's just been too much smoke about Duke Johnson getting traded, mm-hmm. and um, this is a very weak running back class, to say the least, and I would not be surprised if a team felt the need to you know, flip the Browns like a fifth or sixth round pick for, Duke, uh, for Dukey. Anywhere anywhere you guys can think of off the top of your head, that would be a good landing spot. Philly. For like, huh? Philly. Yeah. I mean, Philly's been... I think they've been linked to so many running backs. They've been so, linked so, so far, all, literally all of them. <laughs> so basically, you'd, yeah, you'd have like a you know Joe Ho, Duke yeah. Johnson, and then everybody else basically fades back into the depth chart. I doubt Roseman trades another pick for a right so, back, though. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. that, that that doesn't seem quite right. But yeah, we'll see if Duke Johnson stays in Cleveland. Doesn't seem that way, and, and hopefully not. I, it's a guy that I loved coming out of the U. Uh, he just he just never ended up in a situation that was completely favorable. To him. I was thinking Raiders too, but now they re-signed uh, Jalen Richard, yeah. uh, who was restricted. So who knows? But I, I would be surprised if Duke is, uh, what about Miami? Going back to, go, go back, go back to Miami, go back yeah, to, to South yeah, Florida, going back to the home. I mean, he'll get plenty of opportunity. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's the last thing the Dolphins need for <laughs> fantasy. It just confuses uh, us even more. No, nah, not a good fantasy fit. Um, all right. So we've, we've talked plenty about the tight end position this year. Hopefully what is going to be a more deep, a deeper position this year. Austin Hooper says he plans extra work with Matt Ryan after OTAs. They're sort of breaking in a new offense. The Falcons have sort of been on the hunt for a quality tight end ever since Tony Gonzalez left. Um, I don't know if this gets either of you guys really excited about Austin Hooper, but uh, he's going to have the opportunity to, uh, you know, to maybe make some plays if things work out. Well, he he was... The top 10 was tight he? end. Yeah, I mean, I know we yeah, say so that. I know yeah. I get it because it was such a bad <laughs> season. I don't know. I think Hooper is what he is. Like, he's, he's not a guy that I'm going to get super excited about. There's there's so many good young tight ends. You've got three or four yeah. coming out in the draft as well. Like, I'm way more excited about Hunter Henry, and I'm excited about O.J. Howard. But um, if, if Hooper is my tight end one when I come out of my drafts, I'm not going to be feeling that great about it. He's him. just so so low upside because his average depth of and target no is reliability at it's all. Like, it's like three yards downfield. <laughs> um, there's just no vertical element to his game. So. Right, right. Uh, one other last piece of news. This just popped up on my Twitter timeline as we were sitting here talking. Jonathan Stewart signs a one-day contract to retire as a Carolina Panther. So uh, we won't have Jonathan Stewart to, to kind of kick around anymore. But this is a guy who, you know, at his best, was not a bad fantasy running back. He, I know he had no. injury issues, but he was a quality running back. When he when he so. came out of college, a lot of a lot of fantasy folks, including myself, were high on him. I thought he was going to be a, a pretty darn good RB two type. 
Yeah. Um, you know, he, he spent a lot of time kind of platooning in the backfield with D'Angelo Williams there in yep. Carolina. Um, that was like the big headache. That was the big headache for a it's lot. It's like, of oh, it's Stewart. It's D. I mean, who's going to get the football? Yeah. Marty Herney drafting two running backs there and then giving them both like equal opportunities. That was not fun. Mm-hmm. Jonathan Stewart had a great career, though. If you play 11 years in the NFL at running back, that's a fantastic That's, that's a pretty good career. So congratulations to Jonathan Stewart on his career. Uh, enjoy retirement. I will say that as fantasy folks certainly enjoy enjoyed watching you play. And that is pretty much everything you need to know. That was the news. Well, we have spent plenty of time talking about the draft just between the three of us. And so with the draft coming up in a couple of days, I figured it'd be smart to get somebody else in to talk about it with us. So I went to my Twitter Rolodex and I found Emery Hunt, friend of the program who we had uh, over the summer before the season started, but uh, he works for the, he writes for The Athletic. Uh, he's in any number of places. You can find him on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. Arguably the hardest working man on draft Twitter. Welcome back to the podcast, Emery. Appreciate you taking some time with us. How you doing, man? I'm doing fine, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah. Uh, well, I want to just get started with, with the quarterbacks because they, they seem to be at the top of every draft. And uh, I know you are very high on Dwayne Haskins. You have uh, you have sung his praises on Twitter uh, quite a bit. I know the knock on him is that he is not a mobile guy. He's kind of a big statue in the pocket, which doesn't seem to be the way the NFL is going. Explain to me why you are so strong on, on Dwayne Haskins. Well, I just find it funny, first of all, that last year you had a quarterback in Lamar Jackson that people said could stay in the pocket. Can he stay in the pocket? Can he make throws from the pocket? And this year it's Dwayne Haskins stays in the pocket too much. So I can't, I can't <laughs> figure out what the, what the people want to go with. But as far as Haskins is concerned, when you look at how decisive he is and how consistent he is from an accuracy and placement standpoint, to me it's, it's just so impressive to watch. I, I remember watching him in passing back in September, and this was September 22nd, I remember it exactly, because I was heading to a broadcast. Now, I'm watching Ohio State first half, and I'm like, wow, this is the best quarterback in the country, and I just left it at that. It was clear that he's doing things that looks like a pro veteran would do. And a lot of times when people make the, you know, the comment about him being, uh, you know, just throwing dump balls or throwing crossing routes, but a lot of that comes from what he's seen pre-snap to make what he does post-snap look that much easier uh, for everyone to, that's viewing. So I just think from a from a total quarterback standpoint, despite not having Kyle Murray's athleticism, he's definitely mobile enough in the pocket to make throws, and he's very accurate at all levels of the field. Okay, so you got Kyler, you got Haskins, uh, probably your top two in some order. Who is your number three quarterback? Because I feel like it gets muddled at that point. I actually like Drew Locke. And, and one thing that I'm big on when I look at prospects, especially at the quarterback position, is situational football. How well do you play under pressure? How well do you manage the situation? And I thought last year Locke was terrible in that regard. This year was remarkably better uh, as far as managing the situation. And that's why he had the success he had this year, just opposed to last year when he threw over 40 touchdowns. But this year he was much more efficient, uh, made better decisions inside the red zone, and therefore Missouri had much more success. So I think he got better situationally, which is why his stock kind of rose in my eyes over this past season. Hey, Emery, uh, Michael Fabiano here. Good to meet you. Thanks for joining us on the show here. So sticking with the quarterback theme, there's been some rumbling going on about Daniel Jones and potentially Jones being the top 
quarterback on a certain team's board that might be in New York, the team that doesn't need a quarterback. Uh, what, are you, what are your thoughts about Daniel Jones and uh, his prospects for, uh, for NFL success? You know, it's, I put this out there a couple of days ago when you talk about a prospect and the first couple of things you mentioned are, you know, Cutcliffe and Cutcliffe worked with Manning and Daniel Jones knows Eli and they, they also played at the passing camp. Before you even get to what he does as a football player, that's like a huge red flag because if you're excited about a prospect, you're going to tell me everything that he does really well. And you don't get that until maybe 20 minutes into the conversation <laughs> about Daniel Jones. And so when you talk about him, and I always use this litmus test as well, for guys that are playing at quote-unquote non-flashy programs or small schools, your team should be in contention whether or not you have the talent or not. We talk about Daniel Jones not having weapons and all of that, all of those things, but you had a team out in Boise, Idaho, consistently winning with teams, with prospects from, you know, all across the country, but going to Boise, Idaho, and they're beating Virginia Tech, they're beating all these big-name programs. That's what you expect to see from a Daniel Jones. That's how you want to see guys uh, show up in situations that are not advantageous for you to make that jump to the NFL. We saw... Carson Wentz has success in North Dakota State. We see all these other programs outside of, of Duke, which is a power five program in the ACC, no less, does not have success. And then when you look at his numbers, it's so pedestrian and average that I just wonder, you know, why is this happening for a guy like him? And, and it, it's hurting him in the long run because he's going to get overdrafted, which is great for his pockets, but it's going to be bad for his football legacy. Um, you know, we sp- we sp- talked about the running backs, and generally people seem down on this running back class. But I-, I know you've written quite a bit about some of these guys. You've been to a lot of the the regional combines and the pro days and that sort of thing. Um, and I-, I read you wrote on Flow Football about you know three sleeper running backs, and one of them was Wesley Fields. And you sort of made the point Georgia Southern has kind of become a place to go to find some quality running backs. I know you and Matt Waldman were sort of on that that same that same plane. Talk to me about Wesley Fields and why we maybe should pay attention to this guy. First of all, it's just a breakaway threat coming from the position. I'm always going to be a big fan of guys that can hit the home run because that makes my job as a coach so much easier to, to be able to turn around and hand the ball to a Barry Sanders and just let him do his thing. I look like a great play caller. But when you look at Wesley Fields coming from Georgia Southern, that used to be the knock for a long time that option running backs really didn't have the vision or the natural running skills uh, that you see guys coming from traditional offenses. But when you watch Phil's run, you see he has all of those requisite nuances that you look for from a back, whether it's running inside, being able to see the backside defender and cut it back against the grain. And I think because of how he started his career, uh, you know, with the bang, but he was also in that mix with Jarek McKinnon and all these other guys that, uh, that have Matt Breida that have gone on to have success, that he kind of got lost in the shuffle. But that also is a, a testament to how well they are able to recruit, how well they're able to develop. And for him, he doesn't have the quote-unquote miles that people talk about, and he's trekking in the right direction. He had the injury and kind of lost some ground, but now he's back healthy, a guy that's being vastly underrated. And I think he's going to end up in the camp and be another one of these surprise players that not only makes the team but ends up making an impact. Hey, Emery, I know I was reading one of your pieces on The Athletic uh, a couple days ago, and you, it seemed like you're really high on Darrell Henderson. He's actually uh, my number two running back in the class. 
I, I kind of want to get your just general thoughts on Henderson and why he, in your opinion, why you think he's so explosive and so um, ready for the NFL and why he thinks, why you think he's such a great fit early on in his career. One aspect about playing a position that a lot of people don't understand is, is, you know, when you're seeing things two and three frames ahead, you're able to run with confidence. That's the difference between Daryl Henderson and his backup in the same offense. Now, Henderson only had eight more carries in his backup, but averaged nine, almost nine yards a carry, nearly 2,000 yards, and 22 rushing touchdowns. So if I'm able to see things prior to it, it happening, I'm able to anticipate and I'm able to maintain my speed and play fast. So you're seeing him be able to see this in real time, and that's why it looks like this guy is running through gaping holes, but he's anticipating what the holes are. So as it's happening, he's hitting it at the right time. He's able to destroy angles because of his speed and explosiveness. And when you have a guy moving that fast, this is simple physics. You're going to be powerful. So I think he breaks a lot of arm tackles. He's also explosive. His passing, uh, his pass catching is underrated because he wasn't asked to catch much, but he he was able to catch a few passes to where you see, okay, he's comfortable catching a football. I think because of his home run element, that's what you want in the backfield, especially in today's game where you're not going to get the guys, you know, the football 25 to 30 times a game as far as carries are concerned. You have to be able to hit that home run with 10 to 15, and Henderson is that guy and has proven it over the last two seasons because last year he averaged nearly nine yards a carry, a carry again uh, in an offense. Uh, talking to Emory Hunt, you can find him at The Athletic. You can find him at Flow Football. Uh, I, I was reading through your pro day kind of recaps or whatever, and the thing that jumped out to me, Ryquel Armstead, a guy that I don't think a lot of people are talking about, but you kind of projected him as an RB1, RB2 kind of bell cow guy. Um, how much have you seen? What do you like about him? I've, I've gone and scouted a couple of Temple games over the last – four to five years, and this is back when Jahad Thomas was starting tailback, and I remember watching them try to close out a game, and they're, they're in their four-minute offense uh, with another one of my favorite prospects in uh, P.J. Walker, who's QB3 right now for the Indianapolis Colts, holding out there strong. But they went to this young guy in uh, Rockwell Armstead to close out the game. He ended up ripping off like a 76-yard touchdown run. Like, man, this guy is going to be okay when Jahad Thomas goes on to the NFL, and Armstead just he fits the mode of the physical runner, explosive, uh, runs through contact, runs behind his pads, doesn't run high to where he's getting constantly knocked over or taking unnecessary shots, but he has a good natural feel for the position. And when you look at how Temple ran the football under Matt Rule, it was, the, it was perfect because it helped him, you know, uh, develop his game, develop that vision uh, and that nuance that you look for outside of them going to the spread offense now. So I thought he was telling me for the pro game, even as a freshman and, and sophomore, and he just has gotten significantly better each and every year to where now no one is really talking about him. I think what really has him underrated in his class is because he had some injury concerns uh, throughout the course of his career, and that's why you kind of want to see him as an RB2 first uh, to see if he can maintain his, his health, and then he can definitely be an RB1. I know a lot of teams after his pro day pulled him to the side right away to start interviewing him and setting up visits, uh, Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Chicago Bears, I know a lot of teams that are looking for that that run that running back by committee type backfield are looking at Armstead as potentially their lead dog in, in, in what their running attack is going to be in 2019. Emory, yeah, let's move on to the wide receiver position. And one of the guys that has really gained a lot of steam on fantasy Twitter and in the fantasy community is Hakeem Butler, big guy, um, 
had a lot of drops the last couple of years at Iowa State. Give me your thoughts on Hakeem Butler and whether or not this guy is going to live up to the hype. Yeah, he kind of reminds me a lot of Doriel Green Beckham. Because See, that's not good if you're a fantasy owner. <laughs> I don't want to hear about Doriel Green Beckham. <laughs> because here's the thing. If you're telling, just like we talked about Daniel Jones and 20 minutes in, you finally get to some things he kind of do well. For you to talk about a receiver, and one of the things you mentioned was didn't catch the ball well, I'm already out. I'm on the next play. <laughs> I need you to catch the ball consistently. I don't care if you can get open, but you have to be able to catch the football. And that work, that, that's why I'm worried about Butler. There's, at times, he can catch the ball, which is great. Like He can go up and high point it, play high post, all those cool things. But when you really need him the most to catch the routine things, he tends to drop those. It's almost like Martavis Bryant. In that regard, how Bryant couldn't catch anything that was coming straight at him, but over his shoulder, he was able to catch those. Um, so to me, with the drops from Butler, comes from him probably getting his hands up late, seeing the ball late, because you see him catch the middle to the back part of the football, which tells you he's seeing it late, which leads to drops, because a lot of times if you're seeing it late getting your hands up slow and you get hit at the same time, you're going to drop the football. And so I see that a lot with Butler. And here's the other part, too. We used to have this discussion about guys like T.J. Duckett, uh, Ron Dane and, and guys like that, when you are in college and you're bigger than everybody and you go to the NFL, you have to understand there's no 18-year-old cornerbacks. There's no 18-year-old linebackers afraid of you. These guys are grown men. They're going to try to manhandle you at the line of scrimmage. So he has to, one, get better at the line of scrimmage, getting off bump press, and has to be more consistent in catching the football. I wouldn't take him high as, as high as people are talking about. He's probably a mid-round value to me. Um, because he really has to clean up those things if he wants to be a consistent threat out there on Sundays. Emory, uh, it sounds like obviously you're a little bit lower in Hakeem Butler. Um, this is obviously a just, in my opinion, loaded receiver class. Um, if you could give just like dynasty fantasy football players your top two or three assets that you're that you're trying to that, that are on top of your board and maybe targeting in some of your own leagues, who would they be and why? Anthony Ratliff Williams out of North Carolina. I just love the way he plays the game. It reminds me a lot of Roddy White. I'm surprised he's not getting as much pub as he, as he should get because of how dynamic he is with the football and he has upside. Former high school quarterback and all-star quarterback, honestly, uh, made the move to receiver at UNC and has gotten better every year. So he still has upside to grow in that position. I would also look at a big-time receiver that no one's speaking of and, and Keelan Dalt out of UC Davis. He's versatile enough to play all three receiver spots. I was consistently getting open uh, at the Senior Bowl and, and throughout the course of his career at UC Davis, stepped up in the big games like against Oregon and, and the FBS teams that they played. Um, and I also think when you look at these smaller slot guys like uh, uh, Terry Godwin out of Georgia who plays fast in all directions, I'm a big fan of a small school prospect in the Harry Crawford out of Duquesne, tough guy that kind of has that Antonio Brown type mentality where it's, it's his ball or no one's going to get it at all. So I think those type of guys are some of the, the guys I'm taking later on in the in the draft if I'm drafted for fantasy uh, because of what they can do after the catch. Another guy to keep an eye on is probably Devon, uh, Davion Davis out of San Houston State. They're like the Oklahoma Sooners of the FCS. They're going to get a lot of experience in running routes. Guys are going to consistently find themselves open. And this is another one of these Taylor Gabriel types that are going to be around later in the draft or undrafted that's going to have an impact on the team. So, Guys that can do more than one thing, guys that can put the ball in the end zone, are guys that I want on my football team. And this is a really good receiver class, like you guys talked about, very deep from the X position to the flankers to the slots to the big inside guys, uh, like Reggie White Jr. of Mama, who's another one that you definitely should keep an eye on. 
Uh, Emory, let folks know what, what you will be doing during the draft. Where will you be? Where can they find you for all your great information? They can follow me on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. And Thursday night for the first round, I'll be at Fantasy Sports Network, which is in nice. Manhattan at 35th and 7th in Rock and Rallies. Uh, we'll be doing pick-by-pick analysis there uh, for the first round. And thir- uh, Friday and Saturday, I'll be at the Giants facility uh, covering you know the draft and also interviewing Giants picks and players and getting the feedback in from from coaches and also from Dave Gettleman himself. All right. Hey, fantastic. Look, if you are a fan of the draft, if you are a fan of draft Twitter and you are not following Emory Hunt on Twitter, fix that. Emory, appreciate the time, man. I always enjoy talking to you. Enjoy the draft, man. Great stuff. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Thank you for having me on. All right. It's Emory Hunt. Again, you can find him at The Athletic. You can find him at Flow Football. Uh, big on Twitter as well. Definitely a guy I wanted to talk to uh, before we did the draft. He studies, I think he said he studied over 800 prospects. It's, it's, it's funny <laughs> because, like, there, there's, like, that's why I wanted to ask him about Hakeem Butler because, you know, I know you, I know you love him. And I know there, there's a lot of guys out there on fantasy Twitter that love him. But then I talked to some of the guys yeah. who actually are scouting these, like Lance Zerline. I talked to him and, and you know, Emory. And it was kind of the same thing. I think I think eh. the thing with Butler this year is just a wide range of opinions. There's just I mean, it kind of just depends on who you talk to. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, this class is a lot of fun. I can't wait to see where these guys go in a couple weeks. Yeah, I know. I mean, you've got excuse me. You've got what? um, I mean, the wide receiver and running back position, they're going to be I think the second to fourth rounds is where we're going to see a lot of movement there at those two positions. And it's going to be a lot of fun from a fantasy standpoint. The one thing is that there aren't a lot of like featured jobs available in the league at this Mm -hmm. point because we've talked about it ad nauseum. Just we've had such an a, a incredibly massive influx of really good, young, talented running backs come into the league over the last five seasons or so. But um, it is going to be interesting to see where some of these young guys go. I mean, I was downstairs talking to Rhett Lewis and you're looking at Jacobs, who is Josh Jacobs. Yeah. He's, the, he's the number one running back in this class and people can't find a fit for him. You can't find, I mean, like Tampa, it would maybe be a fit, but they're not going to take him in the first round. Oakland could be a fit. Would they take him in the first round? Mm-hmm. You don't know Philadelphia traded for Jordan Howard. So um, I think in uh, in the second, third, and fourth rounds, you're going to see a lot of good running backs and a lot of talented wide receivers yeah. come off the board. That's where fantasy owners really need to pay a lot of attention to this draft. That's going to be the amazing range, I think, is that like second to fourth round for mm-hmm. the receivers because we'll see so, I mean, there should there should be at least, I think, 15 to 18, I think, go in that range. There's, it, they're all going to fly. And legitimately, how many fantasy impact makers are going to be drafted in the first round, especially just immediate gratification 2019 impact makers. maybe two or three? maybe a couple not many two or three I it think won't, it won't be right many. right um, so obviously we'll see Hawkinson and Fant go in the first round for tight ends um, right. yes I, I would be shocked if either of them fall to the second round um, but then for receivers I Metcalf mean, yeah for receivers Metcalf I think Marquise Brown and Marquise Brown Hakeem Butler I've seen I mean I've seen some sharper people mock him into the first round but also I've seen like you know, Daniel Jeremiah, Daniel Jeremiah has had him outside of his top 50 for yeah. quite some time. I mean, there's some plugged in people that have definitely been lower on Butler than I think mm-hmm. kind of the hype is, is, uh, has crept up. AJ Brown is, I think He's the number of a wild card, right? Yeah, AJ Brown's the number one receiver. I think right now that everyone has just kind of forgotten about through mm-hmm. this process. And he's Nikhil Harry's out there maybe, too. Yeah. Maybe a late first, second round. I pick. think, I think Friday is going to have a lot more fantasy impacts yep, than no Thursday doubt. will. No doubt. Thursday mm-hmm. will. So, mm-hmm. uh, again, thanks to Emory Hunt for stopping by. Uh, we look forward to getting this going, man. Just a couple days away from the draft. And again, we will be back on Friday uh, with another pod to just kind of recap what happened on Thursday. And, uh, you know, I don't know, get you ready maybe for the rest of the weekend. All right. Now the important stuff. <laughs> 
A Night of the Seven Kingdoms. I should, I should just say, this is a spoiler alert in case you somehow didn't watch Game of Thrones on Sunday. If you haven't watched it yet. I don't yet, get it. I don't get it. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, look, after this, we got four episodes left. That's it. Um, so A Night of the Seven Kingdoms, right? Basically, everybody has gathered at Winterfell, and they're just, they're just running out the clock because the army of the dead is on its way. So it was sort of one last night with everybody together because after episode three, we're going to lose a lot of these characters, folks. A lot of these folks are not coming back. So it was a chance to uh, to kind of see them together. Big news, Arya is a woman now. So, you know what? There was a second There was a second there, guys, where I thought they were going to go full frontal and I was going to close my eyes. Like, because she's like our little sister. Right. Yeah. I don't want to see that. I don't want to see that. Never. I just didn't want to see it. Never, ever, ever do that. I thought it was a fantastic episode. Oh, yeah. I know. No, I loved it. I know. A lot of people didn't dig it, but yep. I think you're going to look back at it and think, yeah. Because in the next episode or two, some of the people, especially when they all got together and they After were the drinking, cast, they're going to the be dead. dead. They're going to be dead. Yeah. No, I think that's that's why we needed this one, right? Just one last moment. Because I think you start, it, it builds the it, tension for what's coming. It was so good that, I mean, I thought the writers did such a fantastic job of overlaying, like, we know this ominous, huge war where half of you are going to die is coming up in the yep. next episode. But, mm-hmm. like, there were so many little moments that were so happy like Brienne gets knighted Arya, right. Arya becomes a woman I got a little teary when Brienne got knighted I'm was, not gonna lie to you she's one of my favorite characters too um yeah it was just an all-around fantastic episode now we have next four are gonna be 80 plus minutes of just yeah unbridled just, brutal, just brutal a couple of things that I yeah. thought that it well Bran you know when, when he you know he made this statement uh you know the things you do for the ones you love you mm-hmm. know that kind of thing I was like oh man <laughs> I kind of felt bad for Jamie because like I get it like he was a D back in the day. Now, I think, you know, we talked about it last week where he's sort of, he, he's become a good man now. Yeah. Um, and and, and Brienne wouldn't have Jamie, dodged for him. Jamie's my favorite character on the show for what mm-hmm. it's worth. I think he's had the one of the the best, if not the best, story arcs on the show. He's had a he's great gone, character arc. He's gone from completely hated by everyone to, I mean, he now is a man with, you know, with honor and who stands for somebody, mm-hmm. stands for something and... I don't know. It's just it, it's been a great role reversal, but um, he's definitely going to have the uh, the anti-hero ending. So, the t- yeah, to the two things that uh, that I, I was thinking about, too, as this episode was going on was, first off, John wasn't in the episode a lot. No, he wasn't in the episode a lot. And then when they had decided as a group that they were going to allow Jamie to, to fight for the living, he walked right past uh, Danny, didn't say anything. And I'm just thinking he's thinking. Ugh, she's my aunt. <laughs> Ugh, she's my aunt. And then at the end, it gets uncomfortable. And suddenly you're thinking, does Danny now think John's a threat? Because what has she been striving she to? Absolutely her John's entire a- her entire life is being the, the you know, the, the queen. Yep. Being yeah. the leader of the seven. Now, this dude who she's in love with, who happens to be her nephew, <laughs> is the rightful heir. And then the other thing that I thought about was, where's the Night King? Is he on his way to King's Landing to turn all of those clowns into his army, and then they they all go to Westeros? I'll, I want to go back to real, Winterfell real quick to the Danny and John point. That was her immediate reaction. Was wait you have wait a, a minute I, you have a claim to the not throne. that I love you no you have a claim to you the have throne. a claim to the throne that's the first thing that <laughs> came out of, out of right, mouth. right right right. Um, yep. Yeah, there. That is. I think Eddie nailed it, it last week. That's the true tension that's building. Is it, what the hell? Right. Well, yep. 
suddenly, you know, Danny went from being sort of welcome in Winterfell to feeling very, because not only is John a threat, but she had these stare down with Sansa where it was, you know, okay, so you take over the throne. Mm-hmm. What happens to the North? And there was just this weird, awkward silence. <laughs> Are they going to hook Theon and Sansa up? I don't want that. I don't want. No, like, no. I, I mean, think that's, I, true, that's truly platonic. That's just that. I is mean, just I, a, I, yeah. like, I get it. He's like, basically family for them. Yeah. I, I get it. Like, I mean, you know, people want Sansa to find someone at the end of this whole thing. She's gone through hell with the, with the men that have been in her life uh, in, in that respect. But I'm thinking, okay, number one, Theon. Well, nah. he's lacking the equipment. <laughs> and two, like, I still would have a hard time forgiving him. Like, he did some dastardly some, things. Did some bad things. So, I mean, some really awful. And I get it now. He's sort of, it's, it's his redemption because, uh, he, he, you know, it seemed like he, sa- he helped save Sansa from, from Ramsey's Bolton. Uh, and, I, but I, I don't know. I still don't trust Theon. Like, I don't think he's going to turn back and, and betray the Starks again. But I, I just, I still don't trust him. And I don't like that whole, like, d- don't, don't hook them up. D- not, don't not to mention that he killed John Wick's dog. So, I mean, I, yeah, he's, he's just right. bad all the way around. And then, speaking of animals... Well, they they ghost is back and they don't even he's just in a scene. That's true, huh? They didn't really acknowledge that. They didn't acknowledge, <laughs> yeah, they didn't acknowledge that he's back. Did right? They? No, he not at all. Kind of not there. at all. So, oh. so so what's what's going to happen now? Now we now we're all expecting that this is going to be the big one. Uh, this yeah, is going to well, be maybe the first of several big ones. We hope because there's Brienne, only four left. Brienne sadly is going to die. Uh, is that what you really? Yes, yeah. Definitely. I mean, her character arc is complete now. She's been knighted. Like she's happy. You can't be happy. No one. No one is allowed to be happy on Game of Thrones, yes. and she is happy. Does so she like it. die saving like Podrick? Maybe she. She'll die. Possibly. Her, she'll die a hero's death because she is a hero. Right. Um, how many of the people in that room are going to die in the next episode? So you guys, you guys think that Jamie, Brienne will be Brienne, Brienne Jamie, will die. Brienne will die. Okay. Um, I think Tormund. I think Tormund kind of, survives. I think he's kind of a sneaky bet to die. But oh, that's that will hurt. That, yeah, that's gonna hurt. That's gonna hurt. <laughs> the giant's milk. That's yeah. gonna hurt. That was man. hilarious. That's why I'm so strong. Oh boy. Um, maybe the maybe undercover. I think we kind of all knew maybe Cersei was pregnant, but we did get confirmation that she yeah. actually is pregnant, and it's Jamie's. It's Jamie's, um, right? Yeah, which isn't surprising yeah. that it's Jamie's, obviously. But I mean, at least but we do know like, Cersei's not lying about that. I think we lose the hound. Oh, for sure. Um, the hell's kind of been vindicated. Which, a bit. which sort of that was a great sad, scene with Arya. Which sort of yeah. makes me sad because I wanted Clegane Bowl. I wanted the Hound v the Mountain. But you don't think that? I, <sighs> I want that to happen. I don't. I, I feel like that they'd be doing the fans a disservice by not having that. I know. It's like when it's like when Hulk Hogan never fought Ric Flair at WrestleMania, <laughs> and we all wanted it, and then it didn't happen. I honestly hope the game that the Game of Thrones writers didn't just give us what we wanted. Like, there's got to be some mayhem and some turn. No, no, no. But I mean, so like, that would be, that's like, yeah, no, I know. oh, it would be so good. Hound, Hound versus the mountain. I it would like be so it. good. Yeah. It's gotta be, it would be. It's got to be. Right? Well, whatever whatever the mountain is now. I mean, what is he? He's, a, he's some sort know, of like a Frankenstein dude. Swollen some sort zombie. Of zombie monster yeah, thing. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> Who knows? Exactly. And then, and then uh, you had the interaction with Sam and Jorah where he gave him. Heartspin. Yes. That was that was cool, too. Yeah. So I think Eddie predicted that, by the way. Yes, he did. He did. Well, when that happened, I was like, "Oh, Eddie, Eddie, ooh. Eddie knows his stuff." That's good. No, Eddie is Eddie, Eddie's really good. Yeah, he's really good. So, so then Brianna's going to be dead. Maybe Jamie's going to be dead in the next episode. Jorah is going to die. Yeah. Uh, he, he, okay. He's going to die. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. He's going to die. Uh, uh, Sir Davos may may also kick it. I would agree. Point. He's kind of. I mean, like that guy. He he's he's sort of like. 
uh, you know, that, that old wide receiver that just like keeps playing and playing and playing and playing. And he should have been done maybe like three, four years ago, but somehow or another, he just, he just keep you know, he's like Irving Fryer towards like the end, you know, just keep playing and playing <laughs> That's and playing. That's a name I haven't heard in a while. Yeah. <laughs> Played forever, maybe longer than he should have. I think maybe the last thing we should discuss. And I mean, what the hell is going to happen with Tyrion? I mean, he like low key has gotten a ton of things wrong in the last two yeah. three seasons. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm really interested to see where Tyrion's story arc ends. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's going to be interesting too because he's the, one of the most loved characters on the show, and he's kind of had this like his character's kind of stalled here, yeah. whereas everybody else is is going towards an obvious endpoint. John well, is going towards an obvious endpoint. Danny's going towards an. Obvious I said it endpoint. last week. I'm like, I, has, I'm just surprised that he was that stupid. With the with the seriously, I, I just think he was desperate. I really do just think he was desperate. I think um, Tyrion was both desperate and he also still loves his family. Clearly, true, very true. In his yeah. own way, he he's still he still loved. He still, I mean, he look, he he does. He loves his family. He even though even though he knows what they are and who they are. I mean, it's hard. They're well, he said family. it to Jamie. He's like, you knew exactly, you knew exactly what like, Cersei. You just loved her anyway. And all, and we we saw that all it took to bring Tyrion and Cersei back together is a meeting with Elmo. Yeah. <laughs> Did you see that? No. You haven't seen it? Go no. Google it. It's pretty funny. Oh, man. Yeah, it's so, pretty funny. So, that means episode three, the one that we've all been waiting for, is coming. It's, what, like 82 minutes long? The next four are 80-plus minutes. Uh, it is, uh, I would imagine, most of the budget will probably be spent in this next episode. And this mm-hmm. is the infamous battle scene that all the actors said they hated doing. It was doing. grueling that they never want to do this sort of thing again. Yeah. Uh, so, when I'm, we come back to you next Wednesday uh, after the draft... We uh, I don't, oh, that's we may end up doing like a two hour show because we've got to <laughs> we've got to go through the draft. Go the draft. We've got to go through Game of Thrones and, and the heartbreak of the people that we lost, and then you've got Endgame. Oh, true. I mean, so like, dude. I mean, are you seeing Endgame this weekend? Probably not. I'm seeing it Sunday. I know I you're going to go I, see. Uh, Wait, maybe. No. I mean, oh, well, I'm going to have to sneak out to a midnight showing. Yeah. No. So I'm. Well, if you guys don't see it, I'm not going to ruin it for you, obviously. <laughs> but, like, we may have a really, really long show next week. Yeah, no doubt. So, all right. That's it. We're done. We appreciate you listening, as always. Thanks again to Emery Hunt for stopping by the show. Tell yeah, two friends to tell two friends. Rate, review, and remember, the more you weigh, the harder you are to kidnap. So, eat more cake. We'll see you on Friday. <laughs> You go into your shower feeling tired, but as soon as you reach for the Irish Spring, your day immediately gets better. That crisp, fresh, unmistakable Irish Spring scent zings your brain and awakens your senses. So when you finally emerge from the shower 37 minutes later, because you pay the water bill so you can stay in there as long as you want, you're ready to take on the day and smell great doing it. Irish Spring Body Wash and Bar Soap. Fresh, green, Irish. Shop now at a store near you. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union. A savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey guys, back at the playground again, huh? Yep. You know what this playground could use? A wine country. 
Heck yeah. And some waves so we could go surfing. Oh, <laughs> ah, love that. A redwood forest would be cool. I'm in. Ah, ski slopes. Let's do it. Um, can a girl go shopping? Yeah, baby. Wait. Did we just invent California? Discover why California is the ultimate playground at visitcalifornia.com.